I noticed as I was coming in uh, this morning, a uh, number of visitors that are here. If you are visiting today, we are glad that you're with us. We've been looking at the book of Romans for the uh, last year or so. We're now at Romans uh, chapter 13, and before we read our text, let me say that I'm, I'm glad I heard a theologian say that uh, evangelism is preaching the entire Bible. You've got to preach the entirety of Scripture, that the Bible's not a handbook. And that's good to know because there are a lot of parts of Scripture that you have to keep tying it into the gospel of Jesus Christ. You ask yourself, why is this text here exactly? And so we come to a text uh, today uh, that if you're visiting, uh, well, what it, what basically what it's about is a Christian's relationship to civil authorities. Now, what's difficult about this is it's really hard to even get Christians to understand that their importance of being hooked up to the body of Christ and submitting, right, to the Lord of the church, much less submitting to the, to the rulers. Now, where's the gospel in this? Well, we'll try to get it there. But it's really interesting. And so I would like for you uh, to turn with me to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Uh, it is there in your bulletin. And for you, if you're visiting, we believe that this is the inerrant word of God and therefore, every bit of it needs to be preached. It's not here by mistake. So uh, read uh, with me. Uh, follow along with me, please. <clears throat> Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to, to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing and pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, Revenue to whom revenue is owed, and respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. This is God's word. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we are grateful for your word. We confess to you that left to ourselves that we would be uh, in chaos. We see chaos in our own lives, often because uh, we do not submit to you or to your word. We see chaos, chaos in our families and our churches we certainly see chaos in our governments because we do not bow down to you as the Lord of the church and the Lord of the nations. So Lord, forgive us for our unwillingness to submit to you and to those you put in authority over us, whether it is kings or rulers or moms or dads. And so make your word clear to us today. 
And we ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. It's almost this time 10 years ago uh, that 9-11 was taking place. Uh, Perhaps you remember where you were if you're old enough. I remember I was at Big City uh, Bread and I was having coffee with uh, Michael Harrison, another friend named Donnie who's uh, moved away. I got a phone call from my son and uh, he said, Dad, uh, have you heard the news? I said, no. He said, you know, a, a, a plane has crashed into one of the towers. And uh, I think initially, uh, Ben said he thought it might be just a, a small plane. And then he called me back within a few moments and said, Dad, uh, another plane is hit. And it's not a small plane. They're two large aircrafts. And they think it's a terrorist attack. Immediately, um, I got up. I came to the office uh, for a moment went to the nearest TV, the varsity, and I'm, I'm watching in amazement as everybody is huddled around uh, the TVs, uh, hundreds of people in the varsity, and, and watching the towers burn. And, and, and in the process, the Pentagon's hit. And I think it was not long after that, I can't remember all, I, I didn't have time to go look at the, all the sequences, but I, I think that, that, that still the, the plane was in the air to hit the, the capital, and uh, they said another plane is up, and uh, we were all in shock, right? You remember that day? That was a day when there was death to thousands of Americans, 10 years ago, about this time. That was a day that lives were changed forever for those who had loved ones who died there. Perhaps you know someone who died. I knew of a family who lost a son in 9-11. But not only that, we know that it really has changed the way we operate. Things are a lot different now. The way we operate, the way we look at the world, the way things have just been turned up on on top of each other. But what is most uh, disturbing about what happened was that we were not attacked by a country. Uh, We were not attacked by a recognized government. We were attacked by men who were of a religious ideology, uh, men who were zealots. And so as we uh, went to war, uh, we were going after people scattered all about. And even to this day, we see the impact that's taking place in the Middle East as recognized governments after recognized governments, whether they're tyrannical or not, are beginning to fall. And the question ends up being, well, what will be the government? Is there a government in place to to take over? And so the only thing that's worse than a government of tyranny or dictatorship is a mob. Because everyone is in fear of the mob, whether you're a communist or whether you're an American or whether you're Islamic or Christian. Because uh, the mob is really an indicator in some ways of what we are like on the inside, apart from God's grace. That we're always having to restrain ourselves in some way to, to not say the things that we should say or do the things that we would like to do. 
And so God, in His grace, has established recognized governments for our good and for our benefit. Chapter uh, uh, 13, verse 3 says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive what is approved, for he is God's servant for your good. Now this raises up a lot of questions, doesn't it? Uh, I, I wish I were a historian to try to understand all the different kind of governments that are out there. But throughout the history of mankind, we've had several different kinds of governments, some that are better than others. We've had theocracies, and uh, we have had aristocracies. Uh, we've had democracies, and we have had uh, dictatorships. But one thing is true, is that anarchy is not government, and mob rule is the worst of the worst. So that's what our text is about. Does that make sense? He's talking about God's blessing of governments. So why is this text here? And what should we learn from our text this morning? And then I want us to see where the gospel is, really, in this text as we come to the end. Why is this uh, text here? What is the context of this passage? Well, if you're just visiting, we've been going through Romans. And Romans 12 predicates this chapter. And what you have in Romans 12, according to John Stott, is the development of four basic relationships of the Christian. The first two verses have to do with your relationship with God. Make your body a living sacrifice. You're to give yourself to the creator of the universe through Jesus Christ. You're to submit to his rule and reign. And then he talks about our relationship to ourselves. The reason he says that is from verses 3 through 8, he talks about how all of us who are Christians are members of one another and we are to know our gifts. You're to be using your gifts. We talked about that, remember? Uh, some are more gifts of service and some are more gifts of preaching or teaching. But everybody at Redeemer, or if you're a member of a visible church, you should be using your gifts to the glory of God. And then he goes on to talk about our relationship with one another, doesn't he? Like if you're a Christian husband or wife, you're, you're to bless and not curse one another. You're to let love be genuine. You're to encourage each other in the Lord as believers, right? That's within the government of the church. And then he starts talking about our relationship to those who are outside the church. We have people here, here who are not believers. And one of the reasons they're here today is because you as a believer have befriended them. Many of you have come to Christ over the last several years. That were not Christians because other Christians took part. You got involved in their lives. They got involved in your lives and you've come to faith. And he's saying that we as Christians are not to retaliate. He is saying really in a way that if we as believers are living our lives as we should, filled with the Holy Spirit, not nice but new, not good but different, then there will be tension where you go because light comes into darkness and when the darkness is not ready for the light, it will begin to respond negatively. And what Paul is saying is that we are not to retaliate. And so he comes to chapter 13 and he says... Here's the context. That's what the government's for. We're to forgive our enemies. 
There's all kind of history of Christians, uh, stories who, who, who have forgiven those who've murdered a loved one or abused someone or has not treated their child right if, the, if it was a teacher. And then rather than being bitter toward the teacher, there's forgiveness. But this doesn't mean that there shouldn't be recompense if somebody murders someone you love. Or somebody steals your stuff out of your car, you know, your iPad sitting on the front seat, and they bust out the window and they steal your iPad, there should be retribution for that. Not from you, you should be willing to get them another iPad, according to what Jesus says. But what really allows us to do this, and really what allows the expansion of the gospel, is that God has established government to carry out vengeance. But would y'all all agree that there's some really goofy thinking about God and government that's out there? Matter of fact, I thank you, uh, uh, Andrew, for kind of setting the table for me uh, because that's one view of government that's wrong. And I want to give you four, and the one I think the Bible's talking about here, and then we can make some applications to that. Uh, first, uh, there, uh, there's four models. First, there is the Erastian view. And the Erastian view is that the state controls the church. We don't see that a whole lot these days. But then there's the theocracy. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people in America that are concerned about theocracy. And the idea that when the world becomes Christians, Christians take over and there'll be Christian government. And uh, Christian laws will be reinstituted and the penal codes will be reinstituted. Uh, there, matter of fact, there's a lot of people on the left, or whatever term you want to use, progressives, that know more about this than we do. And so there's theocracy where the church controls the state. And then there is what they call Constantinianism. And I think this is kind of what Andrew was speaking to. The church and the state recognize. I'm sorry, the compromise in which the state favors the church and the church accommodates the state in order to retain favor. Right? It's kind of getting in bed with each other. And I'm going to be real honest with you. Uh, way, way back yonder when the uh, moral majority started being on the rise, I'm a fairly new Christian and I'm reading a little bit of theology at the time and, and it certainly concerned me of how... Christians, whichever, left or right, began to get in bed with politicians uh, for purposes of power and not the kingdom of God. Would y'all agree with that? Now, I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't be involved. We should be very involved with what's going on around us. But in the context of what our text says, and that is the fourth view, which I think is the right view, and that is a view called partnership. And that is that the church and the state recognize each other's God-given responsibility in a spirit of constructive collaboration. I think that's what Paul is saying, that Redeemer should exist as, as a church, a visible church, to be a blessing to the city. Would you all agree with that? That we're, we're not here to fight. We're here to be sought in light. Uh, and I'll talk to you a little bit later about you know, when are there times, right? you got a lot of questions. I know going on in your head because when I was studying this, I was like, well, what about this and what about this? And I'm not going to answer all those questions. 
But I think this is what Paul is getting at here. Uh, De Tocqueville put it this way. I remember reading uh, years ago, he was the Frenchman who came to the United States and was like, what's so different about the American Revolution and the results in the French Revolution? You know what he said? Religion. He said this, that uh, the, you can govern the, the Americans because they govern themselves. And they govern themselves through catechisms and through the understanding of God the Creator and where we stand. And you know, I shouldn't steal Mr. Langley's bubble gum, which I used to do when I was a kid. <laughs> because you tell your child, can you see God? And the answer is, no, I cannot see God. But what, kids? He always sees me. And so there's a higher authority uh, that is there. And I think Paul is wanting to expand on the, the good relationship that we should have between uh, our authorities uh, and the church. Um, Paul, some people think, is expanding on what Jesus said in, uh, in Mark chapter 12. You know the passage where they were trying to trick Jesus and they, they, uh, they said, uh, should we pay taxes? And of course, if he said no, he would have been uh, uh, one who is subversive, like many maybe here this morning have not paid taxes or don't want to pay taxes. And our tra- text addresses that. Matter of fact, I talked to somebody recently in the banking business who said, yeah, you know, it's hard sometimes to do people's uh, the, do loans because they don't believe in paying taxes and pay taxes in a while. And of course, Jesus says, uh, well, give me a coin. What a brilliant, he was was brilliant. He was God, but he was also a human being and a very smart one. Fully God and fully man. And he says, show me that coin. (laughs) Y'all know that story, right? He says, whose picture is on this coin? And they say, well, Caesar's. And they say, well, give what to Caesar for what Caesar's and render unto God what is God. So kind of, that's what's going on here. Paul's expanding on this idea. And so here's, here's what I want to see uh, in our text. Number one, I want us to look at God's sovereignty over all the nations. Thus the title, he's Lord of the rulers. God is sovereign over the nations and over governments, good ones and bad ones. And then I want us to see the responsibility of the state because the state will be held accountable. The United States will be held accountable. Matter of fact, I have a professor who believes that we should not Uh, bomb abortion clinics because God might well be raising up a case against us because we are not able to address that issue with with the ability of argument. And we'll come to that later. But God's sovereign over governments, the responsibility of the state to be ministers and then the responsibility of Christians. Y'all see that? It's just clearly here in the text. And the first thing to see is this, that You've you got to put it in the context of government that God is sovereign over all of them. And you too. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Now, this, this, these verses are coming right off. Don't retaliate. He's saying that God has given us the gift of government to retaliate. 
Vengeance is the Lord's. There, there needs to be reckoning. Don't we all agree with that? That we need to give an accounting. But it's not us that does it. It's the government that does it. And therefore we have judicial systems. And not only here in the United States, but you have them in Russia where there's been totalitarianism. And in other governments, under Sharia law, there's a system uh, that is in place. What Paul is saying here is that uh, Christians uh, should submit to those who are in authority uh, over you. So the starting point, though, of understanding, when, when should we? Uh, but do, are we going to uh, submit in every situation that's there? Well, the thing he wants to understand first is that God has established governments. And, and before we kind of get into the when should we rebel, when should there be a revolution, should the American Revolution have taken place over tea and so on, and all these questions that are there, the first thing he wants us to understand is that ultimately God has given those as ministers for our good. So when you see a policeman and he has a uniform on and he's out there, you know, doing the old radar, he is a minister for good. Or if he gives you a ticket... Uh, he is a minister of good. Tax collectors are a minister of good uh, because there are things that we need like roads and hospitals and things that are to our, our benefit. But if we're to appreciate exactly what's being said, we need to know that throughout the Old Testament you have all kinds of situations where God is raising up kings and he's lowering kings. We saw that in Psalm I think it was Psalm 2. Is that it? It sounds like Psalm 2. Yes. Didn't want to kind of go through my notes here. But God raised up Pharaoh. And initially were the Egyptians a blessing to the, to, to the Jews. Initially. Uh, they came and uh, they were out with Joseph. And Joseph uh, uh, was, a, was a blessing to the Egyptians and a blessing to the Jews. But, but eventually um, a tyrant came into power. But Romans 9 tells us that the reason God allowed him to rise up in power and oppress his own people was so that he might demonstrate his power. That he is the Lord of all the nations, not the Pharaoh. We have Nebuchadnezzar who came into power. God allowed him to come into power and he began to be proud and arrogant and so God sets him aside. The whole Bible is filled with those who are rulers who God raises up and God takes down. It's the same. It's been throughout all the ages. But to understand this, there's two words that are used in the Greek for power and political power. Uh, and one word uh, that is used is called kratos. Uh, and it means naked power of rule. And uh, it can be legitimate or it can be an illegitimate power. Somebody that has a gun, they rule you. They have power, they have kratos. And therefore we have different forms of government under this rule. There is, for instance, democracy which is the rule of the people or there is a plutocracy which is the ruling of the wealthy class Kratos, Kratos, the power of naked rule. There's power that's there. But that's not the word that's used here. 
The word that's used here is the same word that Jesus used that we'll see in just a moment in John chapter 19 when he stood before Pilate. And as Pilate uh, spoke of his authority, same Greek word, the Greek word exousia, which means delegated power. And so what Paul is saying here is that those who are governments have been delegated the power of God to rule for the good of his people. And when that power is moved away from submitting to God's call for them as ministers, then they have denied the power that God has given them and God raises up cases against governments as such. Pilate told Jesus that I have the power to give you life or death. And you know what Jesus uh, says to him? Jesus says that the only power that you have is the power that is granted to you. You have no authority over me. You have no power over me. Did he have the power to, to judge? Yes, because gave, God gave him, Pilate that power. He put him in that place of exousia, of authority. But he denies that authority. And the irony is that Pilate wanted to get the favor of the Caesar, but he ends up in exile in France because he is not governing according to the power that God has given. So God raises kings up, he puts kings down. But God's absolutely sovereign over every, uh, every rule. Do you understand? Do y'all know that he's sovereign? Over, do you think he knows he's going to win in 2012? Y'all think he's got that figured out? Don't sweat it, but be real involved. Pray about it. In fact, should we pray? If you, if you are politically different than the, the ruling party, should you pray for those who are in authority? You should. You shouldn't go, well, I don't like Obama or I don't like Bush. I don't care whatever your persuasion is. If you're a Christian, you pray for them. Pray that God will give them wisdom. Pray that he'll rule and overrule because he's a sovereign God. And does God know when King Jesus is coming back to bring all the nations together under judgment? Absolutely. He's sovereign. And we need to remember that so that we do not get caught up in political power, the kratos, Versus that which is delegated by God. Second thing you see is the responsibility of the state. state does have responsibility. I'm already kind of hitting on that. But notice he says in verse 4, For he is God's servant for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. And again, the state is seen as a blessing from God. Their responsibility is to rule correctly. Now, I just started watching the John Adams series. Um... Went to Vision Video. Matter of fact, they called me yesterday and said, Hey, Mr. Farnsworth, I need that John Adams video back. But uh, anyhow, so I need to obey the authorities, right? <clears throat> but it was the, the, the first, the, the first uh, section, it was just fantastic. Uh, John Adams is uh, um, an attorney in 1770. It was the Boston Massacre. And uh, the, the long and short of it, it was not the British fault, the soldiers. They fired into a mob. And because the mob started throwing, uh, throwing things at them, they feared for their lives. They're human beings. And so John Adams defended them and defended them well. And, uh, and during the, the court, he said, the, the, listen, the, the rule of, of, of law must, must abide in New England. 
and in Massachusetts. And of course, everybody hated him. But at the same time, John Adams was one of the first uh, uh, signers of the, the, the Constitution, Declaration of Independence. But he was very, very committed to the fact that England had lost their right to rule, exousia. And they began to oppress and to keep people from life and liberty. But you know, before, before they rebelled, they came up with a constitution. So the United States government, I think, is blessed of God because there's the rule of law. And what are those blessings? Well, the, the, the power uh, of, of, of government, uh, they have to defend us from our enemies. We have soldiers from our congregation. They're in Afghanistan. They're in Iraq in different places of the world. My son-in-law is in, uh, uh, well, he just went somewhere in Oklahoma. can't remember the name. Fort Seal. Uh, he's there, and he's there to protect us. And God has given established governments because if we didn't, there would be chaos. But also the power to defend her, her citizens against evildoers. I won't continue to, to hammer home on that, but um, that is a blessing that we have a judicial system, the power uh, to carry out justice. And so that is the responsibility of, of the state. But what are we to do when the state denies that and the state begins to move away from the authority that's given. In other words, when is there a right to rebel? Uh, James Boyce in his book says uh, that there are three. Uh, one is evangelism. When the government tells you, you know what, you can't preach the gospel any longer. That's Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5 says, listen, you, whatever you guys say, but that does not apply to us because there is a rule of law greater than the rule of man and you're breaking the rule of God and we will preach the gospel. Uh, another reason is, is, is uh, morality. If the government starts asking you to do things that are against the law of God. Um, but you have to be very careful there. And we'll talk about civil disobedience here in a moment. But always the, the, the obvious one is the Nazis. What was a pastor to do? Well, you know, the Nazis set it up where a preacher could preach as long as he didn't say anything that was really that practical about government, about living as Germans. And so there was a, a pastor that uh, James Boyce speaks of in his uh, commentary named Martin Niemöller. And uh, he refused not to preach against the Nazis because they were discriminating against Jews and against uh, those who had deformities, against those who were mentally ill, against gypsies. And he preached against it from his pulpit that this is not the Germany of Luther. And so they put him in jail. And one of his friends, who was a pastor, said, you don't have to preach on this stuff. As long as you preach other things, don't preach against the government. And so he asked him, so why are you here in jail? And uh, Martin Niemöller said, why aren't you in jail? You know, there's a great concern sometimes, even as ministers of the gospel, that what's more important is that we not preach on Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, because that's not that relevant. And so we preach on things that have to do more with, like John 3, 16, or preach sermons that are appeasing to the crowds. 
But we have a right in the power of word and the power of preaching. That is exactly how we stand up when the government begins to move away from its calling. So that's the God's sovereignty of the state, the responsibility of the state. What is the responsibility of the Christian? What is your responsibility of the state? Well, notice what it says in verses 5 and following. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not to avoid God's wrath only, but because of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. You know, Paul says flat out, hey, you better obey because they're God's ministers to carry out vengeance. So you probably ought to do your taxes right. Uh, You probably ought to obey uh, the laws of the land. Some of you college students that are here, you're under 21 years old, for instance. You drinking beer? How many of y'all, uh, you know, are drinking beer with your friends? Uh, and I'm not talking about getting smashed. I'm talking about you're not 21 years old. Uh, my youngest son, Jack, I, I have great respect for him. He's a student at Furman University. And I might offend some people when I say this, and y'all forgive me if I do, but... Somebody, uh, right before his 18th birthday, it's about two months before his birthday, somebody gave me two really nice uh, $8 cigars. So I have a place in my backyard, and so uh, Jack, uh, he and I went down to, the, to our little place, and I was going to sm- smoke my $5 cigar, $8 cigar. And I said, hey, son, would you like to, would you like to smoke a cigar? We'll kind of crown you in here. But you got to do it in moderation, okay? Smoke them in moderation. That means you don't do two at a time. <laughs> and uh, and he, said, he said, no, sir, I can't do that. I said, why? And he said, well, I'm not 18. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man. I said, you're right. I said, but, you know, he's about a month or six. So he said, Dad, I'm not 18. And, and, and you know, the, the, so we should respond appropriately so if you're between 18 and 21, you're not 21, and you're drinking, it's a sin. You don't need to be doing it. Not to mention it's a bad testimony, not because you're drinking, but because you're rebelling against God. It's a simple thing like that. Speed limits and all these other things we could put there. And yes, I've had my share of speeding tickets. But he says something more important. Notice he says, but... Because of conscience, not because, not because you might get caught, not because you're going to get hammered, right? But a higher reason for the Christian that we're bound by our conscience. And there's a huge difference because the word literally means with knowledge or knowing what's in my heart. My son was working off conscience. That it's not right that I should smoke a cigar. And I'd be never smoke cigars and all that. I'm, I'm, I'm not telling you, oh, your kids can smoke. I'm going to get in trouble on that one. But, hey, makes that point. But because of conscience. Paul says in Acts 23, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in good conscience up to this day. In other words, he knows that in his heart, 
He is living his life before the reign of Christ and before people. That's what a good conscience is. And so, what is the difference between a Christian and, say, uh, a politician who knows to do the right thing? Well, a politician might go, well, I want to do the right thing. It's probably good, but I'm going to wait till I get reelected, right? Not, not for the Christian politician. He will not be pragmatic. He will be a statesman. He will be one who is a servant of God, called of God, to bear that authority in the proper way if it means he doesn't get reelected. Here's the difference between a a person of conscience and a person who does everything out of duty. If you pay your taxes and you hate it, you begrudge it, and you don't even acknowledge it, you live in the greatest country in the world. One thing I admired about my father, he paid a lot of taxes because he made good money. He paid a lot of taxes, and I never heard him complain about it. And I asked him, I said, Dad, you pay a whole lot of money in taxes, so how come you never complain about it? He says, son, we live in the greatest country in the world. Uh, and, and so we should give. But for the Christian, it's not just paying your taxes. It is that you get involved in the life of the community so that the crime rate goes down, so that the pregnancy rate goes down, so that you're a blessing to other people because your conscience is bound to be salt and light, not just I pay taxes. Well, I need to conclude. What's the conclusion here? Where's the gospel in this? Where's the gospel in this? Let me ask you this. If you're a gospel-centered person, do you submit the way Jesus did? If you are a child, do you submit to your parents? Or do you talk back to them? You're a teenager. You think you have a right to talk back to your parents. Now you're talking back to God. An employer, an employee, when you get together with the other employees and you don't like your employer, do you kind of talk behind their back? Or, or you say, hey, no, I'm thankful to have a job. Or if you're married, why submitting to husbands? You think that's a popular thought today? You think our families would be a lot better off if wives would submit to their husbands and their husbands would submit to the Lord by serving their wives? What do you think? Yeah, does that mean the husbands are better than wives? Heck no. I don't know why God set it up that way, but one in one, you got, you, somebody's got to have a deciding vote. And for some reason, God chose lugheads. I don't know. <laughs> but it's not your less than because Jesus Christ is not less than. And he's equal with the Father, but he submits to the Father for our good, which brings me to the conclusion. And that is... Jesus believed in government. He believed in law. And he submitted himself and took upon himself a human nature to be obedient, even unto death, because the law of God requires it. And he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And if he has submitted his body upon a cross, crucified under the law, and the curse. Shall we not submit our bodies to him and his rule over the nations and in our families and where we work? Here's the gospel. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this time together. We thank you for our government. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that we live in America. And teach us to be good citizens. 
to pray for President Obama, to pray for President Biden, to pray for our congressmen and our senators, not to hate them, but to know that you've raised them up. And we pray that you would give them grace to rule properly. For Lord, you are the one who rules over them and they will be held accountable. But Lord, we too will be held accountable for how we live our lives and how we submit to those who are in authority. And we're all under authority. But Lord Jesus, we thank you that you submitted when you were the ruler. You're the ruler. And we should have bent our knee to you But you came down from heaven to give us hope and life. But Father, let it be known to everyone here that Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead and he will come back as king to rule the nations and to judge the wicked and that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.